it is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And I think it's better than the way it's being run. Hello, Matthew Garnett here from In Layman's Terms Radio.org. Um, we are experimenting with this uh, live streaming notion. I think it's pretty cool. Um, there's some particularly great software out there to help us do this sort of thing. And so we're making a couple of, att- of attempts at it. And um, the hot topic, of course, around Easter time is purpose and meaning. And we've got all these wonderful sermons out there. I've been um, kind of tracking with Andy Stanley you know, over the past couple of years because he seems to come out around Easter time with these really interesting sermons about unhitching from the Old Testament and you know what it is. What are these barriers that uh, that we're putting up? to keep people from coming to Christ and these sorts of things. Uh, but Andy Stanley was was very uninteresting this year. And so I took a look at uh, none other than Rick Warren and Stephen Furtick um, just to try to, to get an idea of what's going on out there. And it's, and it's the same ideas, uh, this idea of purpose and meaning. And, I, you know... Um, I'm, I've been thinking about this for a long time. So, so we're going to try to kind of explore that. Explore that and think about, um, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, we we as Christians, we, you know, particularly me, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Christian of the Lutheran sort. Um, whether or not uh, purpose and meaning is something that that we can get our th- th- that's uh, for us in this life, or is it just that we're saved and we're just waiting to uh, die? And go to heaven. That's really kind of all, all it is. You would kind of hear these analogies of, you know, do we live in a hospital or a hospice? Are we getting better? Um, or are we just waiting to die? Um, I think all those analogies have their merit. Um, that, uh, that, in a sense, we are waiting to die. We, we long to be with the Lord Jesus. This is what uh, the hope of the resurrection gives us. Uh, but at the same time, uh, do we have meaning and purpose in, in this life? And in you know kind of how to sort all that out. It's not it's not an easy thing to sort out. Um, and there's a reason why Rick Warren has a best-selling book called The Purpose-Driven Life. Um, and maybe um, that's just something that's um, not Christian and something we should avoid. Uh, but at the same time, I'm wondering if there's not a good biblical Lutheran answer or Christian answer to the notion of having purpose and meaning. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about. Hopefully uh, it makes sense to you. And, uh, and I mean, this is, again, the main reason I do this podcast is just keep my mind straight, keep my mind sharp on biblical teaching and, 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 our, and, our, and uh, the Lutheran confessions and just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. This is one way I do it. Okay. So before we get to the meat of the uh, discussion here, let me uh, welcome everyone listening on KNNA The Cross in Nebraska. Thank you for listening, and thank you for Pastor Poppy and all those guys up there who, who give me a chance to be on their radio station. Very much appreciate. Well, very much appreciate it. Welcome K N N A the Cross. Also, um, want to let you know about this. Uh, if you don't already know about it, go to laymanstermsradio.org. I mean, if you're listening to this on a live stream or on Facebook or whatever, still go to laymanstermsradio.org. And if you've listened to it, really, what you should do is give a donation per podcast. Now we've set up a situation where we've got five, 10, $15 
donations. None of these donations go to me. I'm a truck driver. Okay. I don't need donations. I make good money. All the donations that we get go to Kibos Hope Academy. We're trying to drill a fresh water well for them because these kids are trying to not only be educated in liberal arts, but they're trying to be educated in, um, in Christianity and be catechized into the Lutheran faith. So what we're trying to do is drill them a, a, a fresh water well so they so when the city water is off and that happens about you know they, they get the city water about three four days a week and then the rest of the week they have to the rest of the time they have to go down to the stream and fetch water and even when they have the city water if you look at the pictures on our website you'll see that when they turn on the they have to go outdoors and turn on a spigot and get buckets of water and bring it into the school it's ridiculous it shouldn't be that way. We have enough money here in the United States that, um, and, and I have enough listeners that if you guys, instead of just listening to this for free, would go and give $5 toward it on this PayPal, $10, $15, or just give a one-time donation of $50, we could have the money raised where we could drill them a well where they could have indoor plumbing at their school. So, I mean, we're Americans, right? We're Americans. And we don't think about these sorts of things. But you would never send your child to a school that didn't have indoor plumbing. But this is what they're faced with over in Kenya. And that's what we're trying to help with. Um, the the woman that is in charge of Kibosov Academy um, is Monica Ochola. She is a church mate of mine. I know there's a lot of nonsense going on over in Kenya. There's a lot of us, um, you know, social media uh, hucksterism that's going on from people that are over in those parts of the world, and it, and it's a mess. But but I can assure you, I know this is legit because I'm associated directly with the people there, and I know this is this is the real deal. And so I would just ask you, please, to contribute in some small way, even if it's five bucks. Because again, we don't have a gigantic audience. I mean, we're not the largest, fastest growing podcast in in the United States right now. Like somebody like Ben Shapiro, that's not us. Uh, but uh, but we do have enough listeners that if you guys gave five, ten, or fifteen dollars, or gave a one-time gift of fifty dollars, we could raise the money we need to complete this well and give these children what they need. Again, remember, um, you as a parent in the United States would not send your child to a school that did not have indoor plumbing. So just keep that in mind. That's what these children are going through. They're walking two and three miles um, round trip just to get to school. And I think the least that we can do is chip in a little bit. And if we all do it together then we can make this happen very, very easily. $30,000 is nothing. Everybody's all $30,000. That's, you know, maybe that's what you make in a year's time, or maybe that's what your spouse makes in a year's time. But, but coming together and chipping in a little bit here and there, we we can make this happen. It it should be very, very simple, especially given the amount of people listening to this thing. Okay. So there's my, there's my guilt trip for this evening. There's my um, plea to help these children at Kibos Hope Academy, please check it out at laymanstermsradio.org. Okay, so we're going to be talking about um, Rick Warren and purpose and meaning and, 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 and how the resurrection bears on that. And really, the, um, my, my main theme in all of this is, is to get you to, to home in on the idea that we are justified. We are at peace with God Almighty of the universe. That's really what salvation brings to us. And I think we as Westerners kind of get in our heads that, you know, really what, what salvation is, is that we're going to have the American dream. 
That's really salvation to us. And there's nothing wrong with the American dream. I pursue the American dream. I mean, I'm a truck driver. I go out there and I earn my money and, and, and I want to be successful. I want to provide for my family. I want to be rich if I can. Because, you know, why not? There's nothing sinful about being rich. But the point is, is that the gospel does not bring us the American dream. And, and, and the thing of it is, is a lot of times I think some of us Christians in North America and in the West get this, this idea in our minds that we think that what the gospel ultimately is going to bring us is the American dream. And that's not what the gospel is for. What we don't understand is that we're in way bigger trouble than not having the American dream. I mean, not having the American dream, yeah, might be a problem. You might have to be a school child in, in Kenya and go fetch water from a stream and, and bring it up to your school so you can get an education, and that's tragic. But at the end of the day, that's not what the gospel does for us. The gospel brings peace between us and the God we're at war with, the God Almighty of the universe. That's why Jesus came. And so at the, at, the, at the base level of what we need as human beings, at the base level of what we need is forgiveness, is to know that we're secure with the God that created us. That's what we need. And until that needs fulfilled, then we're going to go about searching and trying to find ways to, um, to appease this God. This is what humans have done throughout history, is we've tried to figure out how can we appease God with what we do. The American dream is not going to appease God, friends. I mean, you can live a great life, you can do all these things, but the, this is not the thing that's not going to put that's going to put you at peace with God Almighty, the universe. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. What the gospel gives us is peace with God. To know that we no longer have to strive and suffer and struggle in order to earn our salvation. And that's what I'm convinced everybody on this planet is trying to do. They're trying to earn their salvation. And once you know your salvation is secured, once you know that's taken care of because of the, of the person and work of Christ, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, once you know that, then all that time and energy you used to put in to appeasing God and earning your own salvation, now you can spend that time and energy on somebody else can spend it on loving and serving your neighbor. You can spend it on loving God. That's the idea. And that's what we're going to focus on today and, and, and kind of bring this in and talk about purpose because it's okay to have a purpose. Um, I mean, I, I'm all about purpose now. I, I mean, so because I get it. I, because the gospel makes sense to me now because I know that my eternal salvation is secure and that there's nothing that can pluck me out of his hand. Um, I'm free to go and just go all out in loving and serving my neighbor. And I love it. And, and it gives me purpose and meaning. And, it, and it's made a difference in my family and my wife and my children. Um, all these things the pop evangelicals talk about, all is predicated on understanding the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so once you understand understand the gospel, don't be afraid. See, I think that's that's what I see with, with some of us who do understand the gospel. We're so afraid that, that, that once we understand the gospel, that, that we understand that we're at peace with the God of the universe because of what Christ did for us. Um, that, that we're afraid that, oh, if we go out and do, if we start doing things, we start you know living with purpose and meaning and these sorts of things, we're afraid that that's going to creep back in and substitute for our salvation. Um, that that's a legitimate fear. I get that. It makes sense. Um, 
but and it's something we always have to guard against. It's something I have to guard against because a lot of times I think, you know, well, hey, man, I'm I'm being the good person, and how could God possibly reject me and these sorts of things? And so I start to think of my relate my relationship with God, my Father, on the basis of what I'm doing. It's it's a danger. We have to always be on guard about that. But but the thing of it is, with the other thing we have to be on guard about is is this notion that uh, because you know our our eternal our eternal standing before God is secure that no longer do we have something to do anymore. Um, and, and, and these sorts of things. Okay. So hopefully that makes sense to you. That's what we're going to drive at today. And, and again, I, this is what I want to crystallize it into is now that you know that your salvation is secure, that you're at peace with God almighty, the universe, because of what Christ did, um, what are you going to do with all that energy you used to spend on trying to impress God? What are you going to do with that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, let's get started with it. And here we go with, uh, uh, you know, just to, as a foil, as a little uh, juxtaposition, uh, we're going to put up our buddy Rick Warren here and talk about his idea of purpose and then juxtapose that with our idea of purpose. Here we go. Now, let me give you some good news. There on your outline, the Bible says this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ, we are set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins because of God's rich grace. Now, we're all imperfect. So we all carry regrets and we all carry remorse and we always wish we had done things differently. We all have sins and things that we feel bad about and guilty about. And God doesn't want you carrying guilt through life. God doesn't want you carrying a load of shame through life. Uh, the whole reason he died on the cross was so that you could be free from all of that guilt, all of that shame. Guilt wastes an awful lot of energy. It, it, it fatigues you. It tires you. It robs you of peace of mind. Well, I got a little five iron friends in there for us a little bit. <laughs> That's the fun of uh, doing this live. Okay, so uh, the what I'm picking up here with Warren is um, the the emphasis he's focusing in on is that that uh, Jesus came so we could have our guilt taken away. Now let's let's talk about a couple things here. Um, First of all, War Rick Warren tends to use very weird translations. Now, if if you're not a Christian, you don't know anything about this. It doesn't, it, you know, you're not going to catch on to this. But but the quote from Ephesians is the International Children's Bible. That's really weird, um, because the actual quote from Ephesians from the ESV says, "In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace." And so there, the word. Uh, redemption is is replaced in the International Children's Bible and according to Warren with the word freedom. Okay, re redemption and freedom are have some relation, but they're not, but they're not the same thing. Um, and and that's going to kind of color things here because R Rick Warren is going to talk about how Christ's resurrection frees us from these guilt feelings. Okay, so let's let's just kind of take a step back. Get an overview on everything, um, and think about it this way: um, Jesus, the God Almighty, of the universe, sh shrunk himself down into the womb of a virgin, was was born, suffered brutal agony on the cross, died, buried, 
rose again and ascended so I could stop feeling guilty. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, if that's true, if that's, if that's what Jesus incarnate, the God Almighty of the universe that came down, the person and work of Christ, uh, Christ's sake, as, our, as, as the Lutheran confessions, but if, if that's what's going on there, um, then then I'm I, there's no way I can be a Christian because I still feel guilty about, about things when I sin. And um, the thing of it is, you better feel guilty about things when you sin. If you don't feel guilty about committing sins against your neighbor, I mean, at least your neighbor. I mean, I, I hopefully most of us feel guilty about committing sins against against God, against breaking the first three commandments. You know, not 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 trusting him, not uh, uh, um, you know, uh, take, taking his name in vain, teaching false things about him, not trusting his word. You know, if we, if we don't feel, you know, we can put those, we can kind of bracket those things off because they're they're a little more abstract, and, and take the the other commandments, the four the four through ten, and talk about those times when we sin against our neighbors. If we don't feel guilty about that, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's called being a sociopath. And so, you know, who might say, get you to the nearest shrink if you don't feel guilty about committing sins against your neighbor. All right. Now, I, I think I know what what Warren is getting at here because this is a thing with, with, with pop evangelicals. They want to psychologize these things. They want to talk about, you know, this uh, kind of the obsessive um, feelings of guilt where, oh, you, feel gu- you, you felt guilty about the sin. You confess it to God and you continue to feel guilty about these things. And so you want to be rid of this guilt. So you go see a shrink. Okay, well... You know that 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 may help, but at the same time, there's there's things there's things I've done in my life that I'm just I'm at in it. It's it's a weird way to say this, but but I'm at rest with understanding that hey, I'm gonna feel guilty about that. What I did was horrible. It was a terrible thing. I should I should feel guilty about that the rest of my life. Now, why should I feel guilty about that? Because God just likes God's just some special torture chamber that like you know that likes to torture me with my past sins. No, I mean. Read your Bibles, people. This is what I tell my teenagers when I'm teaching on a Sunday morning. If you're not reading your Bible, you're wrong. Okay, so and, and read your Bibles far enough to get to Hebrews 12, where it says it all. Hebrews 12 says this: It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, meaning God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's why you should feel guilty when you sin. That's God disciplining you, and you, you should embrace that and, and glorify God in that. Because when you feel that, 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 that pang of guilt... 
the next time that sin presents itself to you, you go, you know what? I did that sin last time and I know how it hurt that person and I know how it hurt me and I know how it messed things up and I'm not doing it again. Sorry. And that's God's discipline. And that's how fathers work. And that's how one way God loves us. We don't we don't often think of that, do we? We always think of God as all these, you know, um, yeah, you know, affirmative lollipops and sweetness and oh, it's all good and all is grace and all these we don't often look at God's discipline as something um as a loving, do we? I mean, it's hard to. I know it's hard to because we we want to feel good, don't we? Um we don't look at God's discipline as something that, uh, because it doesn't feel good, right? That, and that's exactly what the writer, I mean, the, the writer of Hebrews is so insightful. Um, uh, you know, in, ver, in verse 11, he says, for the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. It does, doesn't it? We don't want that. We want to feel good. I mean, we're Americans, right? Why should we feel bad? Uh, but but uh, as, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, the discipline is good. And it is painful, uh, but it, but it's going to help us moving forward, right? Um, you know, and, and we might continue to feel guilty, and that's that's part of the discipline as well. You know, because because I, I I think the reason the Lord gives us that gift of continuing to feel guilty. See, a lot of people say, well, you know, that nagging guilt, that nagging guilt, you got to try to get rid of that. You know, I think we spend a lot of time and energy trying to get rid of this nagging guilt and uh, and try to feel better. When really that nagging guilt is is a, is a gift from God, because we're going to face that temptation sometime again in the future, and so um, we take that nagging guilt and we say, okay, we're going we're going to roll this. It doesn't feel good. It's painful, just like the writer of Hebrews says, and we're going to move forward, knowing that we when we bump up that sin again, when we bump up against that sin again, we're going to say, okay, oh, here's that sin that I'm that that I'm feeling guilty about still to this day. I'm not going to engage in that sin again. Um, not just because, and, and this is what I, I find amazing about the gospel, not just because I know um, that, that this is going to be harmful to me, but because I know it's going to be harmful to the person uh, that I'm committing the sin against. Okay, So just embrace those guilt feelings, people. I mean, I'm no psychologist, but that's kind of what the, he, the writer of Hebrews t- tends to say. Okay, so here's uh, what we do at in layman's terms. We uh, we engage the popular culture. I mean, why should we just leave it to the pop evangelicals? Let's engage a little bit of the popular popular culture, um, and maybe it's not so popular anymore. But but this little scene illustrates exactly uh, what we're talking about here. Check this out. What have you done to my friends? I've done nothing. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now learn something about yourself. No. I refuse. Jim, try to be open about this. About what? I've made the wrong choices in my life. I turned left when I should have turned right. I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cyborg to take me on a tour of them. If you've just unbend and all... And be brainwashed by this con man. I was wrong. This con man took away my pain. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are we lose them we lose ourselves i don't want my pain taken away i need my pain all right so um that's the idea there see that's what rick warren is talking about here is is the resurrection is so you know god can wave this magic wand over you so you don't have to carry your guilt and pain anymore and that's that is not what the gospel is for 
That is not what the resurrection of Christ is meant to do. Um, it's 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 not a magic wand, like this episode of Star Trek, which I love. I love the, the Kirk says this. I I need my pain, and and that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews teaches us: is that 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 discipline is painful for a while, but it it tells us how to not sin in the future, and that's true. And and and, and, and if that is what the gospel did. It just it just took away all that guilt and pain that we feel this side of glory. Then we wouldn't be able to properly combat that sin. And it's not just protecting us. Again, I, I want to emphasize this clearly. It's not just us protecting us and our feelings and defending ourselves against these future guilt feelings. That's not what it's about. It's about that person. The reason you feel guilty is because you hurt somebody. And that is what God's discipline is trying to keep you from. That's what your pain will keep you from. It's from hurting people in the future. All right. That's the idea. And, and, and for the first time in our lives, because we know we have peace with God, we are at peace with almighty God of the universe. That's what the, what the resurrection is about. It's not like Rick Warren says to just take away these guilt feelings because we need to go through life without these guilt feelings burden us. No. What is burdening us is that we are enemies with God. We are at war with God. Our deepest need and our deepest guilt is not these these guilt feelings because we we com- committed sins. Those are friends of ours. See, Warren's got it completely backwards, and he's to flip the script. Our problem is is that we were at enemies with we were enemies with God. We need peace with God, and what we really fear the most, our deepest fear, our deepest guilt, is that. God hates us, and he does, outside of the gospel. We are enemies of his. And what happens is that guilt is the, that's the guilt that becomes paralyzing. We think it's the guilt of us sinning against other people and that sort of thing, but what we don't realize is that those sins that we've done against other people that have made us God's enemies, that is the guilt that's paralyzing us. And that's the guilt that needs to be alleviated. And that's the guilt that gets alleviated in the resurrection. See, I'm preaching a lot in this podcast. <laughs> but, but, the, but, but you see what I'm saying? You see, you, you see the idea? You, you fear that your sin is, is ultimately against God and that he's not merciful. That's, what, that's the lie of Satan. That, that I've done this sin and, and it's so terrible and I've hurt this person so badly. How could God possibly forgive me and again call me friend? And that's, that's what the resurrection is about, friends. We, you, you don't see how God for, could forgive you. You don't see how God could forgive that sin. We say God is love. Um, and... A lot of uh, my atheist friends will put this forth to me and say, well, you know, if we're talking about love, is, is, is love an objective measure of morality that is even outside of God? And, and the, the, the answer to that question is no. God is love. God is the subject of love. And as such, if God is love, he cannot let sin go unpunished. So let me throw this little scenario at you. So just kind of frame it in here. If if a, if a little girl is kidnapped and brutally murdered, and then the, the perpetrator is caught red-handed, there's tons of evidence, the jury finds him guilty in like five minutes, 
But then all of a sudden the judge, the judge calls a mistrial in the name of mercy and says, the perpetrator can go because I'm a merciful judge and loving. What would we, what would you, if you were the parents of this poor little girl, call that judge? You would not call him loving and merciful. That's the simple fact of the matter. And so sin must be punished and that's what Jesus does on the cross and then he justifies us by his resurrection that's the guilt that gets taken away All right you're the person who kidnapped the little girl and murdered her um and the the judge cannot let you off with a with a mistrial of I am merciful and forgiving just because I am merciful and forgiving. That's not merciful and forgiving. Somebody has to pay the penalty for that. That's why St. Paul calls, calls God uh, the just and the justifier. Yeah, right? Romans? And we see the magnitude of the situation. Why, why the God Almighty of the universe did what he did in Christ. I mean, this is what was required. And that's what the resurrection means. Not this, you know, I'm going to make you feel better about yourself. It's not what the resurrection's about. It's not some milk toast nonsense about not feeling guilty. It's not what the resurrection's about. Okay, I think we've covered that point pretty well. Let's move on. This is the third reason why Christianity spread so fast after the resurrection. They had seen Jesus face to face, and then he says, I'm going to send my spirit to be in you, and he's going to give you power to do things you couldn't do on your own. So now they've gone from fearful to fearless. They've gone from hopeless to hopeful. They've gone from being cowards to being courageous. Let's take on the Roman Empire. Nothing is going to stop them. Now they've seen Jesus alive. He is what he said he is. And now he's saying, I'm putting my spirit in you. And they're empowered by God's spirit. Do you know that God never intended for you to go through life just on your own power? God wants to have a personal connection with you. He wants to put his love, his power, and his spirit inside you. That gives you a supernatural advantage. It gives you additional power that you don't have on your own. When you don't have that power, you say things like this. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm barely hanging on. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm running on fumes. I'm out of gas. I don't feel like I can make it to the weekend. Why? Because you were never meant just on your own power. God wants you to be plugged into the power. Until you're plugged into the power, you can't fulfill your purpose. A blender can't fulfill its purpose unless it's plugged into the power. A vacuum cleaner can't fulfill its purpose unless it's plugged into the power. You can't fulfill your purpose unless you're plugged into God's power. Now here's the amazing thing. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, split history into A.D. and B.C., that same power is available to you on a daily basis. You know, come on, Rick. No, I'm serious. Look at this next verse. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 19 and 20. I pray that you will begin to understand, this is the Bible talking, how incredibly great his power is, that's God's power, to help those who believe him. It is the same mighty power that raised Jesus, raised Christ from the dead. 
What is this power? It's the power of God's spirit in your life. Now listen. You say, well, what does that mean to me? If God's spirit can raise a dead Jesus, he can raise a dead marriage. If God's spirit can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead career. If God's spirit resurrection power can raise a dead man, he can raise a dead dream. He can do anything in your life. He can do anything in your life. It's all easy. What is this power? It's the power to be free from your past. It's the power to break those memories that have been holding you back. It's the power to start over when you feel like giving up. It's the power to change things you think you could never ever change and you can't on your own. It's the power to overcome habits and hurts and hang-ups that hold you back. It's the power to keep going when you feel like giving up. That power is available to you. That's resurrection power. That gave them hope. It's the reason we have hope today. All right, so Pastor Warren seems to be going a bit prosperity gospel here. He's talking about, uh, again, the notion we pointed out before that, uh, you know, the idea of the resurrection is to free us from these feelings. Now, he's right in one sense. The Holy Spirit does give you power to do the things you cannot do on your own. That's, that's true. And again, I would, I, would, I would trace that back to the very outside of us. You know, we Lutherans call that extra nos, um, that objective reality that we are at peace with God, that we are the perpetrator that is deserving punishment, but that punishment was taken care of by Christ on the cross and vindicated in his resurrection. Um, and because of that, we know we no longer have to try to earn our way back to God. Okay, so there's some power in that, right? Because what, what are you going to do with all that time and energy, right? That's that's my contention. That's my, that's, uh, you know, and if you're one of my atheist friends who are listening to this, and uh, what I'm saying is, is that you, unbeliever, are, um, are you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to impress God. In some way, shape, manner, or form, you're you're, you're trying to fulfill your own worldview. And and what I'm what I'm saying is, is that Christ has fulfilled that. That's done. That's over with. And now, what are you going to do with all your time and energy? You can stop focusing on yourself. You can focus on others in a genuine way. Okay. So, um. The Holy Spirit does give us power in that sense to stop focusing on ourselves. And this is a great benefit of the gospel. When we know we can we don't have to earn salvation anymore. We can spend all that time and energy we used to use to earn salvation to spend it on our wives. And then this is not some grand save the world scheme. I mean, I know we're doing the well project in Kenya. Okay, put that aside. I mean, the, most of the energy I spend, yeah, I spend energy trying to dig a well for children in Kenya. Great, fine. If you want to help me in that, give us some money. Great. But most of the time, I spend my time and energy focused on this woman across the room from me, my wife, Jen, in the kitchen, or at the TV, or whatever she's doing, and my children riding their bikes around this neighborhood. That's, that's where I spend my time. It's not that complicated. It's not a save the world. I'm going to be you know, remembered in the annals of history as some great world 
figure. It's I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a good father. And I I, I got to be honest with you. There, there are some Lutherans who will chide me for saying those words, saying, I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. I want to be a better man. Those are, those are words that are born from the gospel. Can be a better employee. Can be more generous to your neighbors. And down the line on the Ten Commandments. And how does the Holy Spirit empower you for this? Rick Warren is right. The Holy Spirit does empower you for this. But how does he do it? Not by some mystical inner strength. He does it by word and sacrament and, and the extra nos realities of what comes to us from God's word. Reassuring you that you can cease your striving to win your salvation. That's the big deal, friends. That's what we're all striving for. We're all trying to earn our salvation in one sense or another. And we can stop that nonsense and focus on loving others. Our salvation has been secured by Christ. Okay. Getting a little passionate about this because the Easter thing is a big deal. It's a big deal. It means a lot to me. And Rick Warren's totally botching it. It's not about your purpose. I mean, it is if your purpose is to love others and serve God and love God as outlined in Holy Scripture. It's not about your purpose if your purpose is personal success and prosperity. And that's where Rick Warren seems to be going with a lot of this. All right, let's continue on. This is the third reason why Christianity spreads so fast after the resurrection. They had seen Jesus face to face, and then he says, I'm going to send my spirit to be in. He turns, I've seen God turn hateful men into loving men. I've seen God turn bigots and, and, and racists into gentlemen and gentlewomen. Because when God's love hits your heart, it changes you. Now you say, well, I know God. Let me ask you, has your life changed? Well, not really. Then you don't know God. Because somebody as big as God can't come into your life and it not change you. When God's love comes into your life, it changes the way you react to everybody else. In fact, Jesus said it like this, John 13. It's on the screen. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, years later, John, one of the original 12 guys, would reemphasize this. And in 1 John chapter 3, he wrote this. This is how we know who the children of God are. Anyone who doesn't obey God's command and doesn't love others is not a child of God. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. We must love each other. All right, so here again. I mean, I, I'm glad that Warren brought this out, this whole notion of, of, of love because of, of what Christ has done for us. But it strains how he shifts out the whole power for purpose situation. I, he, he continues to miss that crucial point, the forgiveness of sins, being adopted as sons and God, as sons and daughters of God unconditionally, that, that we have our deepest needs met. And that because of that, we can't help but love others. 
I, I mean, I, w- I wish he would emphasize John a bit more on how love is defined by the commandments. But, you know, it's a Rick Warren. What can we expect? How do you define love? Christ defined it for us by the commandments. So love God and love your neighbor, which boils down to the Ten Commandments that's given to us in the Decalogue. That's love. And very few Christian ministers in this country define love that way. And this is our purpose. That's the thing. I would have no problem with these purpose-driven, seeker-driven ministers if they talked about our purpose being the Ten Commandments. That completely makes sense. You know, it's not this, I'm going to save the world, you know, American dream theme. It's, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to be a good employee to my employer. It's simple stuff like that. And when we're empowered by the gospel to do these things, this stuff becomes really easy to do. And we do it enthusiastically. As Christians. I mean, I mean, the gospel restores us to these things. God is love and he created us in that image. See, being created in the image of God is not just the fact that it gives us human beings special status, which it does. But being created in the image of God means that, that we know that God is love. That's what it's about. That we know his will and his ways for us. That's what being created in the image of God ultimately means. Not that, well, hey, we're created in the image of God, so however we're made and whatever desires we have, you know, God just blesses those desires and blesses those things that we go out and do. No. What it means is that we have, we are created with God's mind. And that mind was corrupted in our fall and is restored in our salvation. So we have the mind of Christ again. And so we want to be good husbands, good men, good fathers, these sorts of things. That's what we're after. And we want to love God in accord with the commands of Holy Scripture. That's the idea. There's a fifth reason why we who follow Jesus Christ have more hope than anybody else, and it's this. You might write this down. We know the purpose we were created for. We know the purpose the purposes that we were created for. You know, I have discovered that most people have no idea what their purpose in life is. They have much to live on and they have little to live for. And because they don't know what their purpose is, they try to fill that hole in their heart with all kinds of stuff. Money, sex, popularity, travel, pleasure, hobbies, sports, those are all good things, but they're never going to replace not knowing your purpose. Why do I exist? Why am I alive? What on earth am I here for? What is my life all about? Does my life have any significance? Does it have any meaning? That's the fundamental question of life. What is the purpose of my life? And until you know that purpose that God has for your life, you're just wandering around. And you try this, you try that, and you try to fill that. But at some point you're going, there's got to be more to life than this. Well, there is. 
Now, you can't tell yourself your purpose because you didn't create you. The only person who can tell you your purpose is the creator who made you. Now, I don't have time to share with you God's five purposes for your life, but they're in this book. Okay, so <laughs> first time I, I, I listened to this, I thought um, Warren held up the purpose-driven life. God be praised he did not do that. Um, he said, your purposes in life are contained this way you held up the Bible. And that's right. That's, that's absolutely right. Your, your purposes and your meaning in life is contained in Holy Scripture. And God be praised that that's the case. But here's the thing about pop evangelicals, pop Southern Baptist evangelicals, who are the biggest influencers on Christianity in this nation, is that um, they don't really believe that your purpose is found in the Bible. The Bible can help, but at the end of the day, what you really have to do is divine your purpose. You have to you have to discern it. There's a there's a course I used to teach when as a pop, when I was a pop evangelical pastor uh, called Experiencing God, um, and basically what that took you through was the steps to how to divine God's will for your life, God's specific will for your life. And friends, I've got news for you. God does not have a specific will for each and every one of the, whatever, 8 billion people on this planet. They don't, the, the scripture doesn't do that. The scripture is much more brilliant than that. It has, a, it has an outline for how man was created to live. It doesn't have your specific purpose. Um, and the problem with all of this is, is that these people, you know, so this whole Bill Bright, you know, back in the day, God loves you and has a wonderful purpose for your life. Yes, both of those things are true, but what Bill Bright meant by that was he has a specific wonderful purpose. He has a specific person you're to marry. He has a specific job for you. He has a specific specific college. And if you, the problem is, if you miss those things, then you're outside of God's will, and that's a problem. Okay. The dirty little secret about purpose is that if you miss your purpose. You're doomed. It's a law preaching. It, 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 it's a law preaching, at least in this temporal life, that if you mess this purpose thing up, you're in big trouble. You're, you're not going to be fulfilled in this life. So here's the truth about meaning and purpose. Yes, the Bible gives us this, but it's wide open. I mean, we have so much freedom in Holy Scripture. You marry a faithful wife, whoever you choose. God may have chosen you, but he did not choose your wife. Um, you raise children who won't abandon the faith. And don't skip over this one too quickly. I mean, really, I think if every man... Think about this. If every man raised faithful children who did not abandon the faith, what would the world be like? I mean, think about it. No matter what you do, if you're a truck driver, if you're a cashier, what, it doesn't matter what your purpose is. It doesn't matter if you've fulfilled the American dream. If you raise children who keep their faith, what's this world going to be like? Pretty simple thing to think about. We, we often miss it because we think it's grandiose. You know, I want to be rich. I want to be powerful. I want to be whatever, famous. But that's not what it's about. It's about... You know that that's 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 the thing I focus on, and again, one of the reasons I one of the reasons I do this podcast is because it just helps keep me sharp. It just helps keep me sharp on being a good husband to Jen, my wife, 
being a good father to Amelia and Isaac, my children, and focusing on, I want those children to keep their faith. And I want them to marry somebody in the faith. And I want them to raise children in the faith. And then what would happen if everybody did that? It would be something. And we're empowered by the gospel to do that. That's pretty amazing. Um, probably those are the most meaningful things. I mean, you can work hard at whatever you choose to do. Again, God chooses you. He doesn't choose what you do with your work or what you do in life, etc. All right. And then that's and that's the idea. All right. So we're going to get a little bonus material in here. Got a little Stephen Furtick for you. And we're going to go to that right now. Who have been called out by God for great purpose and great potential. And at the cross, we find a demonstration of God's estimation of your worth. It would be my privilege today, wherever you find yourself in life, and whatever your particular brand of pain may be today, whether it's a relational betrayal, Jesus experienced that. Whether it is a temptation, Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are tempted, but he was without sin. Whatever the pain that you can name today, I know a name that is greater than your pain. And I know a name that is greater than your shame. And while we were still sinners, he saw what he put in you. He, he still sees you according to the original blueprint, no matter how much life has tried to layer it with cynicism and doubt and addictions and fears and disappointments and rejection. Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. Peter didn't like it. The disciples couldn't stand it. Even he prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. But it was the purpose that he came for. I believe God is working a great purpose in your life in this season. It is what you do with the pain that determines what it becomes. Many people died on crosses at the time when Jesus was crucified. There was nothing different about his cross. It was what he did with his cross, that he endured it for the joy set before him, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Okay. This really encapsulates what Warren's sermon is about. It's not about the pain, but the purpose of the pain. And here's the lie this preaching. And, I, and again, I love Hebrews on this. The writer of Hebrews says, And what, sh what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Thinking of Lazarus there, I think. But here's what Ferdick and Warren won't tell you. The next part of this. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Friends, we are the church militant. And while, yes, there may be great blessings in this life for following God's ways, that's not always promised to us. There's both. My mom always said, um, life never promised you a rose garden. It's good advice. Friends, we don't live the Christian life, endure pain in these things for ourselves. It's not what Christ did. Because our ultimate salvation is secured, we live and suffer for others. And sometimes that that results in great success, especially in America. When we when we love and serve others, that I mean there's there's a system in place that kind of tends to promote that and and make people who, who sacrifice themselves and, and try to help others uh, prosper. It's pretty it's actually quite amazing. But sometimes it doesn't mean great success and blessing. Sometimes it means suffering. And so the promises of God aren't for this life. And so if you're suffering, if you're struggling, you're doing the right things. You're you're going to church. You're listening to God's word. You're trying to raise your children the right way. You're trying to love your husband, but yet you're still suffering. Don't be discouraged. Don't don't, don't let these hucksters um, fool you into thinking that because that's what's going on, you're not being faithful to God. Um, the reality is that um, life can be nasty, brutish, and short. This is why I think Jordan Peterson is so popular, <laughs> because he talks about this. He's a stoic, you know, and and I like what my 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 friend Pastor Wolf Mueller says about this. You know, uh, when it becomes when it comes down to you know who we're going to root for, the Epicureans or the Stoics. Um, we as Christian root we as Christians root for the Stoics because we know life is difficult. Uh, but that when we are faithful, that's the idea. That's the idea. I mean, if you die in obscurity in middle-class America, but your, fil- your children keep their faith, um, I would count that as a success. Okay, there it is. So anyway, purpose, meaning, yes, we find it in Scripture. Uh, but purpose and meaning as understood in the North American Western ideal is not always the case. Sometimes we will suffer. Um, and the idea is, um, where, where's our faithfulness? The idea of, hey, we're secure before God. We don't have to worry about that. We can expend all that time and energy on others and on loving God as well. All right. So, anyway. Thanks again to everybody listening to KNNA, listening on KNNA The Cross. Also, please contribute to the Kenya, the Kenya Well Project. It's very easy to do. We've got plenty of people to do this. Let's make it happen. Laymanstermsradio.org. Give a donation. All right? And, uh, yeah, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Man, give me the gospel. 
What you saw, where you went, or how much it cost Instead, won't you tell me all the words that give me salvation How he lived and how he died for me on the cross Hey, preacher man, give me the gospel Give me the good news of God's only son Hey, preacher man, give me the gospel Give me What you saw, where you went, or how much it cost Instead, won't you tell me all the words that give me salvation How he lived and how he died for me on the cross Hey, preacher man, give me the gospel Give me the good news of God's only son Hey 